Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Combine Review 2022 NFL Scouting Combine Review. Winners and losers for all defensive positions. Also have a nice delete the tweet segment courtesy of myself. Renner's got some delete the tweets as well. And then our generational bracket for offensive tackles. Let's get it. Buzz is jam-packed today. The Calvin Ridley jokes, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, banned, suspended indefinitely, at least the entirety of all next season, potentially more. He might not ever play it down in the NFL again for betting a handful of parlays. I think it was a 3, 5, and 18 parlay, all of which involved the Falcons winning. That in of itself is a risk. He took a risk, right? He should not be banned for being one of us, in my opinion, for as long as he did. My thought on it is Calvin Ridley getting suspended for an entire season, an entire season for not leveraging insider information on a $100,000 bet on the Falcons to lose or something like that. He bet a maximum, a total of $1,500 on three different parlays, which already in and of itself have a low percentage of hitting and lost probably a lot of those, right? You don't win a lot of 18 parlays, especially on $1,500 bets. To give him a whole season, obviously the NFL is making, you know, making something out of this, right? And trying to like make him a mark for this, where it's like, don't ever do this again. But for a league that is sponsored by FanDuel on Red Zone and that's actively promoting betting to go a full season when other players in the NFL, other players in the NFL have been suspended as low as two games for domestic violence on camera. It that's makes, a horrible argument. How is that, is that a hor- absolutely horrible argument? How is that that's a horrible, horrible argument? argument? They have nothing to do with each other. Those like those have absolutely nothing to do with each other. What one is one is the actual integrity of the game. How is the integrity of the game betting on parlays? That it's it's parlays. Cannot, it's not even a part of the team. You cannot you cannot risk the public ha- falling out of favor of sports betting. Is the thing okay. like thinking that these guys are throwing the game one way or another? Instead, they're thinking these guys are beating the shit out of women. <laughs> That's more integrity, in my opinion. That, I, I don't I don't understand how you can if it, I'm like I said. The amount of money and that the fact that they were parlays while he was away from the team, not actively playing, I don't understand how you can suspend him entire season. I'm just saying it's such a disingenuous argument to bring up things like that and like it's kind of disgusting to like bring up someone else's trauma to, to it's like a comparator when that's like that is a legal issue outside of the game of the NFL. This is literally the game of the NFL. This is literally stuff that's happening on the football field. This guy's inside information too. That they're completely different scenarios. So to compare the two is my opinion. Like I said, not. A comparison that I would ever want to make. I just think that you have to. This is not an unprecedented. This is actually one of the lowest suspensions anyone's ever gotten for sports gambling. Pete Rose can't even be around a baseball field anymore because he gambled on sports. Like there, there is a lot of history in the sports gambling space that that it, this is about as tame a penalty as you see. Josh Shaw got more two years ago for betting on the NFL. So for them to say that oh, everyone here is out here promoting it. That's good for these players. They're making more money because the NFL is promoting sports gambling. They are pocketing every year. The cap is going up, and they're getting a share of that because they're promoting the sports betting. So for you to say, uh, give this one thing that you can't do, sorry you can't do it because it is literally about the integrity of the game. You are jeopardizing and jeopardizing the faith of the public in the product by going out there and betting on your own game, whether you bet for your team or not. You get tweets like Emmanuel Acho saying, I'm not the guy to say he was throwing a game, but look, here's a play where he runs backwards when he should run forward. You're going to risk that in every avenue. And like I said, that 
can very quickly devolve if you give this guy a slap on the wrist for betting on it. People will think, oh, it's no big deal. Go bet through my cousin, whatnot. I, I think this was people were saying that it was too much, too harsh, and comparing to like, like I said, other suspensions. To me, it's just ridiculous. This is about the most lenient penalty you'll ever see for sports gambling if you're gambling on the sport that you're playing in. I, I just uh, my opinion of it is if it's only it, it was only fifteen hundred dollars, it was three different bets on parlays. It should not be an entire season. Like that's absurd. Like that it, it was not. It was not, if it was insider information, he literally was betting on three different games. <laughs> he was like this was not yeah. on his phone through the Hard Rock app. This was not going through someone to get a hundred thousand dollar bet on finding out Matt Ryan was. This was not insider information. It wasn't. He picked the Falcons to win. There were six. 10 against the spread like this this in my opinion you have to factor in like the weight of the bet and like actually how much insider information was taking the place and how much he was trying to like win off of it it was like fuck you money to calvin ridley and it was not a problem it was one instance i i, I don't think i really don't think that it should have been an entire year and i don't think i agree it shouldn't have been a slap on the wrist it shouldn't be a single game suspension it should have been a fine but to do a whole entire season i just think and maybe it is disingenuous to compare it to stuff that doesn't you know hurt the integrity of the game or public faith of the game i mean i i just view it as like what's objectively worse like what's objectively worse what's a worse decision to make as a human being yeah. as part of the league and it's not even close it's what, like legitimately not even then close. like blame your government for not putting ray rice behind bars or whatever you want to say or greg hardy behind bars that Blame the government for that because this is – I don't look to the NFL to judge my morality of what I think a guy is. I just look for them to protect the shield, and this is what they're doing is protecting the shield. I, I just don't know how keeping – making sure the people who are within the shield aren't pieces of shit is not protecting the shield as well. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't think the, the – that they didn't make a they didn't make a statement out of a lot of the other people that have been in the NFL. They made a statement out of Calvin Ridley for a couple parlays. Um Aaron Rodgers, also the other big news. The report is that he is signing a four-year, like $200 million extension. But Brad Spielberger of PFF is reporting also that the deal between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers is not done per PFF Brad and Pat McAfee also calling out that the deal is not done. Aaron Rodgers and uh, McAfee reported that Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay. Then Rappaport of NFL media came out and said it's a four-year $200 million deal, I think included with $153 million guaranteed. Talking to Brad Spielberger, who's a cap analyst here at PFF, he said that the deal is not done and that actually that that report from Rappaport is stalling things from getting a deal actually done now does a deal ultimately get done absolutely but i think the the figures of the four-year 200 mil could be different the guaranteed could be different the signing bonus could be different because that contract is not inked yes the and this was always like last week there was the report that you know aaron Rodgers' decision is still up in the air and, and to me that was always behind the scenes them working on a cap now because because for them him to stay in green bay they had to rework this. They could not sit with this $46.6 million cap hit that he is scheduled for in 2022 on the books. So no matter what, and by this tag deadline, there had to be something like you you weren't going to all of a sudden decide on the tag deadline, try to negotiate an entire contract on the tag deadline, and for you to then remain a Green Bay Packer. So to me, he had made this decision some time ago that he wanted to be a Green Bay Packer. They had been working on this deal behind the scenes for some time and that his sort of the waffling, whatever in the press was him or his agent leaking that to these guys saying as a way of negotiating to say, get me more money. Get like, I can still pull back from this deal. Even though I want to be a Green Bay Packer, I'm still more than willing to pull back and get traded somewhere else. Should you not meet my demands? So I think that's where we're at. And with whatever that $200 million figure, you say it may not be accurate, whatever is 
is a high, high leap from what we've seen in the past. And obviously he deserves that. He's a two-time MVP, reigning MVP. And like you deserve to be the highest paid quarterback in football, but he's definitely in a negotiation where this ain't no team-friendly Tom Brady deal at the end of his career. This is, I still want to be paid what I'm worth. And I still want to be a Green Bay Packer. He is going to make a lot of money. I think, regardless of whether the deal is done, this thing's going to be a freaking monster. If the, I think, I also think that what Brad was telling me is it's not necessarily that the two hundred million dollar figure is off, but it's actually how much is guaranteed and and what is the signing bonus, like the intricacies of how it's laid out, what, how big is the cap hit in twenty twenty two versus twenty twenty three. Like a lot of those yes. details are being worked out. Whereas obviously, Rapport comes out. I think that blanketed. $200 million four-year deal is, is what's being agreed to right now. Um, your reactions to how that affects the Green Bay Packers long-term? Obviously, I've always said from the jump, Aaron Rodgers is the only thing over the next two to three, four years probably that makes the, the, the Green Bay Packers Super Bowl competitive. So you have to pay whatever the hell you can to keep him in Green Bay in Lambeau. Now, what this does to build around him is obviously difficult. Like, it's difficult. It's what the Chiefs are going through. Like, it's what, what through a lot of other teams that have given these monster deals to, it, it's going to be more difficult to build a competent roster, especially if you're not hitting the draft. If you, if you miss in the draft and, and you spend picks on a fucking backup quarterback now for the entire rookie contract, a backup running back for his entire rookie contract, a fullback that can't see the field, you will lose. You will lose this bet on Aaron Rodgers that maybe you shoot the moon with the roster you have. You can't afford to draft backups anymore, period. You need to draft guys that can see the field at valuable positions. And, and, and if Green Bay can hit on that, it obviously it, it'll be a Super Bowl window for sure. I, I think... Interestingly enough, like they are not going to be a better team, in my opinion, next year than they were this past year in terms of just on paper. But they still they may have even a better chance of winning the NFC despite that, despite being probably a worse team on paper than they were, like I said, this past year, because you have Cowboys taking a step back, you have the Rams taking a step back, you have the Tampa Bay Bucks obviously taking a step back. Like who's coming up in the NFC? Who's going to come up and like challenge them? Uh, the 49ers are the one team that probably scares me the most with Trey Lance. And you know, if he makes that second year leap, that they would, you know, already beat them in the playoffs this past year. If he's even better, a significant amount better than Jimmy Garoppolo, they look like one of the front runners in the NFC. So, to me, they could run it back in a way where, yeah, maybe they're cutting some guys and maybe don't have the exact same talent, but in a way, still could be the front runner in the NFC. So, with the big th- the elephant in the room here is. Jordan Love not panning out, or at least not through two years, even showing signs of life, is what's creating this leverage that Aaron Rodgers has to really stick it to them in terms of contract negotiations. Really, mm-hmm. like they, they can't get rid of him, or else they will not be good. You know, like they can't get rid of him and go in with Jordan Love. They drafted Jordan Love to try to avoid this, to try to avoid that sort of negotiating lack of leverage to say, oh, we have a backup plan. We'll just flip you, we'll trade you. And that was probably the initial. Like with the way he had kind of been playing from 2017 to 2019, not the elite level we expected, that was probably the initial plan. The problem was where they went about it and the player they drafted. I, I obviously didn't agree with at the time. And in two years' time, is still looking worse now. Do they flip him? I don't know. I think you just bite that bullet and keep a quality backup that's been your system for this long at this point. But that's, that's kind of the elephant in the room is that Jordan Love – was not good enough for them to be able to trade Aaron Rodgers here. I don't even know if that that, that is an elephant everywhere, right? It's not even yeah, just in the room. <laughs> it's a, they, they know that. They've, they're screaming that from the rooftops. Jordan Love knows that. That team knows that. Um, and obviously teams even like thinking of trading for him know that. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky is going to get more on the open market than, than Jordan Love would although, be. Although I just saw Jim Nagy tweet that he asked team personnel. They think he could get a second round, right? I know no Benjamin way. Albright said he couldn't get anything before day three. I tend to lean more towards what Albright tweeted than uh, Nagy, but 
Nagish was asking guys, personnel guys, what they think he'll get. Not which is like it's easy to say. Oh yeah, you could get a second rounder from an you know, evaluation. Put your, put your, put your, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But put your nuts on the table. You're going to give up a second round for Jordan Love, dude. You do question. that. I mean, what, what's a team that would be dumb enough to do that? Carolina. They don't have one. I was going to say. <laughs> um, last piece of the catch and only buzz is we're officially labeling the podcast audience not just Gators. Master Gators. There we go. Master Gators, I hated initially, and I don't know if I'm in love with it yet, but I, I, as long as Gators is in it, because I've taken to Gators, I like Master Gators. It at least eliminates kind of that Florida connection yeah. that I didn't love myself. No, for but sure. Master Gators, this was, shout out to Charlie, friend oh, of right. the pod. He came in the DM saying, I got the best way to get around the Gators saying, call them Master Gators. And we are Charlie going to Metzger, be right? Charlie Metzger. So well, Charlie we Metzger, we met, on the, we met on the tailgate podcast, yeah. or tailgate tour in Alabama. Alabama. He's from Cincy. From, well, across the river in Covington. He's from Covington, which is close to Cincy, like 20-minute drive. But he goes to Not Alabama, I think. Huh? Not even that far. Probably five-minute drive. Okay. I don't drive. Uh, it's a 20-minute bike ride. The... Um, and he's a freshman. He was a freshman last year at the University of Alabama. Big shout out to him. He's Ooh, a big tailgate fan. We may have broken the law. There. Oh, uh, he's a. I don't think he's a freshman. Actually, I think he's, <laughs> he's an old freshman. I think he's a redshirt senior. Um, but he's a good dude. He's a good dude. We hung out with him and and yeah. and, and, and had some good times in Tuscaloosa. So on to uh, off of Master Gators and on to the proud sponsor of this podcast, the main sponsor of this podcast, Manscaped. Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their Ultra Premium Collection. Believe it or not, it's not for your not-so-private parts. That read, believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Literally, Manscaped is, is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PFF. I'd recommend using the products in this order. One, dive in a bowl of mud. You know, you got to get smelly. Two, hop in the shower, scrub a dub dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Two, I guess the three, lather your hair up with a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to keep your noggin togging. Three or four, dry off and spray on the hydrating moisture, body moisturizer, moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Five, put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop the Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chap lips. Getting dressed, for, getting dressed after is optional. Wear one great scent all day long. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in the bottle. Thanks to Manscaped. Do you ever put the ball deodorant on? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Every day? Uh-huh. No, I'm not that. I don't, put, I don't even put normal deodorant on every day. Let's get That's real. That's not true. Oh, uh, weekends, for sure. Oh, uh, we, okay. I see you. I see you balling out for the boys. I mean, just, <laughs> balling out for the boys. I didn't mean it like that, but uh, like, you know, Okay. People, uh, if other people are going to smell me besides you, then. It's true. Um, okay, that also made a weird sounding. <laughs> <laughs> we live together now, so it's all the same. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, still, we don't have to. Defensive tackles. We're going to go through the defensive winners from the combines. Winners, losers, back to the tape, and the pump the brakes for the combine, starting with winners at the defense tackle position. I feel like Jordan Davis was kind of a winner. I think he did okay at the combine. Yeah, that was that was a fine performance for a DT. <laughs> I honestly, watching it live, when he got out of the 10, I, I literally said, holy shit. He was moving, dude. And I thought it was going to be 
high high four nines, maybe maybe like mid to, mid to low four nines, to get to four seven eight, and then Nagy's tweeting out that some scouts had him at like a four seven six and all this shit. That was one of the more I, I tweeted out, and it's probably a save your likes type of tweet, but like that was probably the most absurd combine performance we might ever see. To do that at the size he did, I don't know if we'll see again. And then he goes out and does the broad jump, and that was almost equally absurd. Yeah. It was an, it's an insane performance for Jordan Davis. I feel now Jordan Davis does not get past 16. The Eagles are taking him at 15 or 16, in my opinion. You, and, and I think all those Georgia boys, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan yeah. Davis, and Trayvon Walker, are all going in the top 16 picks. Some people were you know, ha, you know, putting together this pipe dream, us included, that he'd go to the Chargers. This level of athleticism, this rarity of a human being, is not going to slip outside the top half of the first round. Yeah, he completely showed up Devontae Wyatt because Devontae Wyatt had an all-time performance too. 477 at 307 pounds is nothing to sneeze at. But, True. So did Travis Jones. I mean, we're getting into it. Yeah. But. <laughs> to put into context, though, how insane Jordan Davis's 40 was of players who have ever run the 40-yard dash pre-draft at 340-plus pounds. So he's 341 pounds. Players that have ever done it. He is two-tenths of a second faster than anyone else in the 40. Two-tenths of a second. I remember Dotsari Poe was like, oh, he's a freak. Jordan Davis is like on a different level than even Dontari Poe, who was on his own level. Yeah. Versus everyone else that size. So, of the players 330 plus pounds who have broad jumped, only one other guy has ever been above 9'7. So, he is in his own like tier of guys that size, that explosive. Oh, 98th percentile height at 6'6. Six six. This is for the defensive tackle position for the combine dating back to 2000. Yeah. 341 pounds, that's 97th percentile. 34-inch arms, 80th percentile. Almost 10.75-inch hands, 86th percentile. 4.78 40-yard dash, 94th percentile, and that doesn't, that's not weight-adjusted. Weight-adjusted is one of the best combine performances behind Calvin Johnson. 168 10-yard split, 86th percentile. 77th, 77th percentile, 32 uh, vertical, and a 98th percentile broad. Again, what he did was freaking insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, Holy shit. But the thing is, like, it completely just... Wait, stop. Oh, no. The Broncos are trading for Russell Wilson. Oh, no. They've agreed, per oh, Adam yes. Schefter, after weeks of negotiations in one of the largest trades in NFL history, the Seattle Seahawks and Denver Broncos have agreed to terms for a deal involving Super Bowl-winning quarterback Russell Wilson. Trade is pending a physical and Wilson's approval. Holy shit. They did it. Congrats to the Broncos. That's awesome. I mean, I, so large trades in NFL history, I fully expect that's going to be like number nine this year, first next year, maybe maybe three firsts. That's, if that's one of the large trades in NFL history, that's probably going to what it's going to take. Do you think any players, too? I, I, I don't know. If with the Seattle Seahawks, like the one that keeps getting thrown into trades has been Jerry Judy. They have they got receivers. I don't know if they're going to need a third. Like they yeah. they like their three there, so I'm not sure that would be who they throw in. Maybe I'm trying to even think. I don't think you'd throw in Sertan. No, I like I. I don't know. That's but that immediately makes the Broncos at least a chance in the West. Now <laughs> the one team that has to just be like, what the hell is going? It's the Las Vegas Raiders, dude. Could you imagine being in a division Stop. and that's your quarterback? Stop. Look at like. Look at what Aaron Rodgers is his quarterbacks in his division. You got Kirk, you got Goff, you got second year in Justin Fields versus what the Raiders have to go up against. My goodness, that's that's one of the more stacked quarterback divisions in NFL history at this point. 
Whew. The West is is the the Raiders are toast. The, the Raiders' ability to win the West is toast. For Denver, though, I, I also feel that they're they're one of these positions that we were consistently trading a Rodgers to or trading you know Kirk Cousins to now Russell Wilson going to Denver. Offensive line, in my opinion, is middle of the pack. I think they need to make up, make upgrades specifically at right tackle. Bobby Massey was there last year, just a seventy one point PFF grade. They finished the year nineteenth in PFFs. Offensive line rankings, Jerry Judy needs to step forward. I think you need to see some improvement from some of that supporting cast, right? Like Russell Wilson is going to, in my opinion, a better situation in Denver, specifically on defense. But this isn't a world-beating offense that, in my opinion, is a quarterback away. I I also think this is – they're obviously going to lose a lot of draft picks here. They need Jerry Judy to step up. They need Cortland Sutton to step up. They need Noah Fant. They need Albert Okui Bunam. Like all these players that we felt Drew Locke was equipped to take to the moon. Russell Wilson needs to come in and make some moves. And, and Nathaniel Hackett now in an absolute prime position to really live up to expectation. I was really impressed with him, the head coach now of the Denver Broncos, with how he approached the podium and what he wants to do on offense and, and how much Denver really has you know crowded him with support. He now has his quarterback. It's time to go cook. This is going to be... An awesome, awesome thing to follow in Denver. And, and they did what we were saying. Like, if you're one of these teams with the roster, like that, like them, like the Steelers, like even maybe Washington, you got a roster already that's like there, good enough. Why not make that play? Like, why, with it, you're not going to in this class find Russell Wilson, I don't think. Like, it's going to be a pipe dream to do so. So, why not? Now, here's, I'll say this. I mocked a Russell Wilson trade to, I think it was the Washington Commanders, yeah. is who I mocked him to. But now, Russell Wilson going to the Denver Broncos, De- likely Seattle sitting at nine. Do they take a quarterback? Do they take Malik Willis if he falls to nine? Do they take Sam Howell? I think you've comped him to Russell Wilson in the past. Do they take a Kenny Pickett? All the rumors coming out of Indianapolis is that Malik Willis is going to be off the board before six. A lot of people see him going to the Detroit Lions at number two overall. Some feel that the Carolina Panthers are high on him. So I doubt a Malik Willis falls that far. But now at nine, does another quarterback go inside the top ten in what has been a very bad quarterback class, or at least talked about it so? Here's the thing, though. You were 7-10 and 10 last year, and yeah, Russ missed some time. But you were 7-10 and 10 last year, and you're in the NFC West, probably the best NFC division. You're not going to be good. You're not going to—I don't care who you get in there— and even if and even if it is a rookie, especially if it is a rookie, you are firmly in contention for number one overall next year. So I could see if you're Seattle just saying, take your lumps and see what we can do next year in this quarterback class. It's going to be a, an ultimate rebuild, obviously. I mean, they're going to have so much picks. And, and all. the other question, and this is the other question we, we've talked about when whenever dealing Russell Wilson in any hypothetical situation, is is Pete Carroll part of the rebuild? Oldest coach in the NFL. I, I'm not saying it's, it's over for Pete Carroll in Seattle, but the next time they're Super Bowl competitive probably will be some time, two or three years, before this team is Super Bowl competitive. What does this mean for your Rashad Penny fantasy shares, too? That's a big piece of this as well. Well, he was a free agent anyway, so. God damn it. Well, they got to bring him back. <laughs> now, you, now you do. That's your chance to face the franchise. Final thoughts on Russell Wilson, then we'll get back to the defensive combine review. I had to break that news, though. Couldn't let us go this whole podcast no. without it. Rank the teams in the AFC West. No. Rank them. Tough. I, so I, KC is number one still. I think Denver's number two for me, just because they have answers on defense that the Chargers could get there post free agency, post draft. I could be flipping those, 
but that's where I stand right now. And then Chargers three, Raiders a a this, quality four, I'll just say, but four nonetheless. I'm gonna get back on the soapbox here, and I've had this conversation with you ad nauseum, and you were always a proponent of extend Derek Trade Carr. Now. Derek Carr. What, what are you gonna Trade do? What are you gonna do? Your, your window's over. Your window's done. It's yes. toast. You're not Super Bowl competitive in an AFC West with three objectively better quarterbacks than the one you have. Like, you're not. The defense is eight He's starters 30 away. years old. He's 30 years old. Derek and, Carr's 30 years old. And what? You know, you, you, Russell, I, I you'll still— be like, You'll be your quarterback for the next seven, eight years. Like, you have—that's your window. And how many divisions being, do they win? I don't know. With Derek Carr. How, how many, many divisions? divisions did they win before Derek Carr? Zero. Yeah, and they won it with them. So. They didn't win that division. Back in 2017, they didn't win the division? No. They oh, came okay. in second. Oh, never mind. <laughs> All right. They haven't won a single division with him, and they won't win a single division with him moving forward. Yeah. Why not reset? You were saying that the, the Raiders would say no to two first-round picks. Fuck. Now the Steelers are looking desperate. Other teams are looking desperate. The Raiders roster is not in a position to compete in that division, period. Yeah, this is, this is, this is tough. It was, that's why I could never believe McDaniels. That was the opportunity he liked. But It's such a similar situation to Minnesota and Green Bay. You have a quarterback that will make you competitive. But Aaron Rodgers is always going to truck you. I mean, it's just going to truck you. You're not going to be in a position, regardless of what you're paying Kirk Cousins. Anyway, let's get off of it. Defensive tackles. We highlight Jordan Davis as a massive winner. I mean, I read off his percentile stuff. It's freaking absurd. <laughs> He's one of the, I think, rarest people to ever take place in the combine. Yeah, it was on a fast track. I actually had a talk with a trainer who trains Aiden Hutchinson as part of the Hutch podcast. And he talked a lot about how just terrible India set up to perform. Boye Mafe woke up at 6 a.m., the day he tested and ran his three cone at 11.30. P.M. P.M. Yuck. That's insane. You're not going to get ideal times. It's getting to a point where it doesn't make sense. And I found out why the running backs didn't test. It was 12 a.m. when they got done with the other drills. And they said, we can't do it. So no running back even got to test. Oh. How, how insane is that? What that's kind insane. Of shit show are you Because I was like, oh, you saw you know, running backs not able to test. And, and that's a concern. He's like, no. They, they didn't choose not to test. They couldn't test. The thing that I don't understand is why do you have to be live in primetime? Like, you can show it in primetime. No, but the numbers will get you. out and the whole thing will be toast. It would not. The whole thing would not be toast. I mean, like, I guess there's something cool. to immediacy. But, cool. like, people would still watch. I mean, are you really – like, you would get the numbers out and people would be like, oh, shit, there's going to be a set – I don't think it's many people watch. And I told this to the trainer too, like after we started, stopped recording, I was like, you know, you could, he's like, they just need to sit down with someone who understands like the body and understands how they should be trained when they should wake up and how these events should be split up. I was like, honestly, dude, you sit down with the NFL and tell them all that shit. They don't care. Yeah. Tell them how they're going to make more money off the event and maybe something will change. Maybe. And the only time they've ever made a move at the combine, how it was going to be shifted was when they almost had this whole boycott. They went from COVID's a big concern. We're bubbling everything up to like, Hey, fuck it. We're going to go. We're going to let everyone Let's in. I didn't think it's, I saw a single media person with a mask on all week. Yeah. But back to defense tackles. Devontae Wyatt's the next guy. Devontae Wyatt, all-time 40-yard dash of that size. Travis Jones, though, is a guy who got overshadowed to a massive degree. A 7-3-3-3 cone for a 325-pound man is insane. I like we don't understand how insane that is. That's nearly identical to what Treland Burks ran at 100 pounds less. That three cone is, that's what translates to all-around playmaking at the next level. Obviously, the 40 was great, too. But this guy could be a back-end-around-one type of nose tackle. 
It would not surprise me whatsoever if Travis Jones, after this performance, snuck in the first round. He's just such an easy mover at that size. Dane Brugler had him mocked at 28 in his his, two-round mock draft. I think that's the first time I've seen him mocked in the first round. He had 81st percentile height, 91st percentile weight, 84th percentile arms, 81st percentile hands, and then upper 60s, 70s for the 40, the 10-yard, the broad, the three-cone. He was, again, I think we said this when we were watching it together at the house, Jordan Davis is having a combine to a point where Travis Jones, Devontae Wyatt, even Trayvon Walker were not being talked about at all. And they were also having all-time otherworldly combines. How about losers from the defensive tackle group? Yeah, DeMarvin Leal, we said he's a tweener. Texas A&M defensive tackle slash defensive end who played probably more defensive end than he did actually defense tackle. 6'4", 238 is what he shows up at, which... Like I said, that's just it's a weird size for NFL standards. Like you better be if you're two eighties, you better play like Drew Locke is a part of the trade to the Seattle Seahawks. Oh no. It couldn't get worse. This is if they start Drew Locke for seventeen games next year, come on. I mean, you might as well throw him in, though. Quinn sent a message into the Tailgate Slack channel and says, you guys made fun of me for saying Seattle might be the worst sports city. That's bad. If you trade Russell Wilson and force the 12th man to watch Drew Locke for 17 games, that's that's assault. That is assault. Oh, my gosh. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, Go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry, but the news is just breaking. And so for him at 283 pounds to test like – a run-of-the-mill defensive tackle that you'd expect like a 310-pounder, 5-second 40, 27.5-inch vert, not even a 9-foot broad, and a 449 shuttle. Those are just mid-numbers for a guy who, like I said, can't be under, you can be undersized and succeed in the NFL. You can be middlingly athletic and succeed in the NFL. There's almost no guys that are middlingly athletic and undersized that succeed in the NFL. Back to the tape, Thomas Booker. He was a guy that was impressive at the East West Shrine Bowl, yeah. I believe. I sat down with him and talked to him for a while. Very smart dude. A guy that's played like multiple positions along the defensive line for Stanford. Guy that also tested well. He really, on his tape from watching it previous prior to Shrine Bowl, he really didn't have like moves. He's kind of one of those guys who like every everything he did as a pass rusher looked like he was – defeating a block in the run game you know where he's like tries to engage and then tries to get off and it's like rinse repeat him trying to rush the passer but that's a that's an athlete like you, you trust that you can teach athletes to get after the passer in the nfl much more than you trust non-athletes who use their hands well already trust the guys who are 6'3 301 pounds with 33 and a quarter inch arms that run four nine fours and have seven three 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 cones i trust that guy too develop into something more so than I do, like I said. Guys who may use their hands better already, may have some moves already, but just don't have the level of juice you need to succeed. So, Thomas Booker, go and have to go back and watch tape on him. I know where you wanted to pump the brakes on this defensive class, defensive tackle class, was you know, alleviating every single concern we had with Davis on tape, right? Still yeah. a guy that played only... So everyone talks about how he played on early downs, and that's why he didn't have a lot of pressures, and the snap limitations because they're so loaded along the defensive line. He only played 43% of their early downs, which was the lowest of any defensive tackle on that team. Like, Devontae Wyatt played more, others played more. Yeah. He was not as good as other defensive tackles on his team 
from the coach's perspective, right? Like he's not even playing the highest percentage of early downs. Let alone yeah. throw throw passing downs out the window. Everyone knows that Devontae Wyatt and the other defensive tackles that they had, Jalen Carter, were better pass rushers on those obvious passing downs. But the fact that he's playing of those defensive tackles, Carter and Wyatt, the lowest percentage of even early down snaps, I still think raises the snap concerns conversation, but also raises the fact like, hey, not even the best defensive tackle on his team, I would still not draft Jordan Davis over Devontae Wyatt. Yes, yes. So that's what it does not just because he is a freak linear athlete. And now I wouldn't expect him to put up like nut shuttle numbers and cone numbers like even we saw from Jones. But the thing is, one of the biggest concerns was not just, you know, can he be an impact as pass rusher, but can he consistently impact the running game even because he had motor concerns I, I don't even i wouldn't even call it motor concerns it's just like men that big struggle to when you're six foot six 340 you better be low snap after snap after snap or else you're going to get taken off the line you go back and watch the alabama game where he was forced to play like a real workload 47 snaps in the national championship game the most he played in any game in his entire college career he was not the impact player consistently in the running game that you would Want for like if you're drafting a nose tackle, he better be down after down impact in the running game. And he was not in that game because of, like I said, it's just difficult to have the stamina at that size. And now he came in, reportedly lost weight to go to the combine. And like I said, I don't think there's anyone who had, along the defensive line that needs to be over 330 pounds once you get to the NFL level. I just think there is diminishing returns the more just weight you put on in mm-hmm. terms of like diminishing your stamina and being able to stay on the football field and being able to stay healthy. So I do think that's an issue with him, but it doesn't, like I said, just because he is a freak athlete doesn't eliminate all the reasons why we would be low on a guy like that. We've had conversations on this podcast before about Jordan Davis and, and where would you feel comfortable taking him? I've mocked him to the bills, the back end of the first round. He's fell out of first rounds and some of the mock drafts that PFF has put together, that's not happening, obviously. Where would you first feel comfortable? What team, what landing spot do you Let's think see. where you say, hey, the value makes sense, right? It's not number one overall. Some people are saying bet some Jordan Davis number one overall. It's not that. But where do you feel comfortable in the value you're getting in a guy that, with all the concerns, the diminishing returns you spoke to? It's Again, it depends on the scheme. It depends on what you need. I think someone like Charger at 17, New England at 21 are teams where I think it depends because of how they use or would would need would need for the Chargers, how they would use for the Patriots, uh, I think are two teams where I would start to get interested. But then again, still, it's like who's on the board there as well. On to edge defenders. We had some absurd testers here as well. I, before we get to talk Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Boye, Jabo, can we bring up Nick Benito? Because yeah. I think he got thrown to the wolves. He was nowhere near talked about enough because these other guys are putting up numbers that literally we've never seen before. Well, and Nick, he ran with the defensive tackles. Yeah, and he ran with the defensive tackles. <laughs> That's right. He, he ran with the defensive tackles. Jordan Davis literally ignites that whole segment on fire. Yeah. Nick Benito tested really well across the yeah. board almost. And at 248 pounds. That was the thing we kept saying. It's like, how much does he weigh? With those undersized guys, you don't know. And when a guy doesn't win with power, doesn't even attempt to win with power, it's... It doesn't matter if you're like 248 or if you're 220 pounds. Like it, that's just was his game was straight quicks. And when your game's straight quicks, you better be quick. And I think we saw at the 45440, 35 and a half inch vert. And like I said, all at 248 pounds, this dude is quick. 7073 cones, not ideal. But again, we've talked about the cones and like how late these guys were testing with cones that those aren't going to be your peak performances in some of these. So 7073 cone, 423 shuttles, pretty legit though. So he was the kind of athlete that 
despite being undersized, yeah. can still win off the edge. So Nick Benito, one of the biggest risers coming out of the combine for me. Six foot three, two forty eight, only thirty two and a half inch arms, which is just twenty third percentile among edge defenders. But man, upper seventieth percentile, pretty much in every other drill. Forty one five nine ten yard split for Nick Benito. Thirty five and a half inch vertical is also impressive. Ten ten foot broad. A lot of really good numbers for Benito, who tested with the defensive tackles and uh, as you as I said, yeah. got had, buried in the media. They had Booker three hundred one pounds with the edge. And then Nick Benito at 248 pounds with the DTs. Like, who's making these calls here? For uh, uh, It's hard to say. It's, it's, it's really it's, hard to say. Other, other big winners, obviously. We could talk, we talk a lot about Hutchinson, Boye, and Jabba, but let's get to Trayvon Walker, who All-timer. I cannot believe the numbers he put up. He, again, was overshadowed a bit by, Trayvon, uh, by Jordan Davis. He, in my opinion, is not getting past... The Giants at seven, maybe even the Ooh. Giants at five. I, I, I do not. A lot of the reports are now that the Houston Texans are locking him at three. I don't think he gets past both of the Giants picks. I think his floor is seventh overall. Interesting. That's now that's not that, in my opinion, is not completely based in his tape. I, I, we're lower on his tape. His production wasn't great at Georgia. He was he can't he, in my opinion, can't rush the passer at an effective yet, level yet. Yeah. He doesn't have the moves yet. But when you test as well as he did, like a, almost better than Rashawn Gary in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, you're going to go in the top 10. And if, with the rumors now coming from forecasters like Dave Brugler, like Daniel Jeremiah, like Mel Kuyper, all going inside the top 10, again, I don't see him getting past the Giants at seven. Yeah, I, I would just, I would say I could see him getting past the Giants. I don't see him getting past now, now with Seattle probably having number nine overall. Atlanta, Seattle, Jets, those three all need it, could use an edge. And so I don't think he gets past the end of those three so but yeah that, that was an all-time combine even if you just throw out the 40-yard dash which like we've said they're all kind of pumped up but 272 pounds doing a 35 and a half inch vertical a 10-3 broad jump and my fave the 6893 cone he's just an all-around freak of nature with three 35 and a half inch arms he's going to have a high floor in the nfl when he gets yeah like that's just it's very it's hard to suck at that size yeah, and exactly. that athleticism. You just can make an impact with very little in the way of technique because you are that freaky. So, yeah, he's he is going to go, like you said, top 10 and probably rightfully so. You highlighted Ajabo as a winner in your notes here, the Michigan edge defender guy we've had on this podcast before. I wasn't overwhelmingly impressed with Ojabo's figures, actually. A 4.55 40-yard dash, 250 pounds is really impressive. 94th percentile among edge defenders, but he didn't crack 80th percentile on really any other metric he had. And also, short shuttle, 36th percentile, 4.45, and then opted out of the three-cone. I do think there are some concerns with the change of direction testing I thought he was going to be one of the freaks of the combine. Trayvon Walker gets past him. I'd say Nick Benito might have had a better combine. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson had a better combine. He had the shortest, you know, the lowest three cone we've ever seen from that position. He did it at 265 pounds. I thought Ojaba was going to be freakier. Now, it was still an impressive combine, but I don't think it was what it was billed as, at least. Really? I, I thought it was a good box ticking combine for him. Like, I, I didn't think he exceeded expectations, but that was just solid all-around numbers where it's like that's a edge you can develop basically with his frame at 6'4", three and a half inch arms like that's good numbers for him unlike Maja Sanders who was in the similar oh my mold. gosh yeah and is he probably he was the biggest follower in the let's PFF. wait till we get to the losers we'll get to the losers okay. there I yeah. want to talk a little Aiden Hutchinson a little Boye Mafe okay. before we we get out of there Aiden Hutchinson we were watching it together the the 475 40 yard dash 
474, I think, was what the official was. Only 56 percentile among edge defenders. Not super so, impressive. Not what we expected. I he, think he, he was, had the exact same 10 split as Trayvon Walker and yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau, though, which is like, if you think about rush passion, and yeah, speed comes into play, especially more so in today's NFL when you are kind of, when you get to be the edge guy that gets optioned off of against quarterback, you're still going to have to chase down guys in space more so than he probably did in past as an edge defender. So speed still does matter to a degree. But if you're talking about like rushing the passer, 10 split matters more than your 40. Yeah. It, it is. That is getting off the ball. And so for his 10 split to be the same as guys who ran the four fives, that, that's a win. You know? The biggest win, obviously, was his agility. The short shuttle, four one five. His his trainer told me he's run a four flat, a four zero five before on high end times, and a six seven three three cone, 99th percentile among edge defenders. I think the fastest we've ever seen from a player at his position and his size. On that same call with his trainer today, he said they've clocked a six five, a six four eight in training. Now, obviously, that's different. And the story was so there are technically forty yard forty cleats. And three cone cleats. Mm-hmm. So you wear different cleats depending on the drill that you're doing. And he was doing the short shuttle and three cone in practice with 40 cleats and he kept slipping and they ended up being scratches and a mock combine. He tells the story on the Hutch podcast, but detailing it here. Then he's like, fuck it, I'm gonna go get my cleats. He goes gets the three cone cleats or the agility cleats, comes back, everyone's already done. He asks the guys to just do it one more time. Both of them, two testers, two hand timers. They get a six, I get a, a six five flat on the three cone, and then like a four oh five four flat on the short shuttle. Obviously, that's hand time different than the testing, but this, these numbers are legit, right? This is not no 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 fakeness in these numbers. And again, he's doing it like ten p.m. Right? He's doing it late night, and uh, when you're on your legs all day, it's it's impressive what Aiden Hutchinson did uh, in the in the short shuttle and three cone. Losers, losers. My J Sanders, what happened? What happened? It's, it, I need to know. I don't understand. I don't understand. His agent, I think, came out and said that he was sick and he lost some weight beforehand and, and plans to kind of re, reclaim some of these numbers or retest some of these numbers at his pro day. But to drop as many pounds as he did is, is kind of insane. It goes down to like 228, which would be 0th percentile among edge defenders in the NFL and doesn't even test well, right? Like some people initially when they saw his weight come out were saying, okay, he dropped a bunch of weight to run fast. Broad, vertical, 40 10 yard, all not as explosive as we need to see from Isaiah Sanders, especially at 228 pounds. So, yeah, so the thing is, you come out and do what he did. Did, did that information that you heard about him being sick, was that before he tested or was that after he tested? No, it was, before, it was why he lost that much weight. That was, so that was after he weighed in, or was yeah. it? No, no, it was, it was going into the combine, I believe. Okay, so, so that's so my reason. I think to. you're getting at this too. The re- reaction is why did he test? Yeah. Well, I'm saying, like, if it's after the fact, of course you're going to make up an excuse about a guy being sick and, like, whatever. He wouldn't yeah. test that shit. Oh, I comparably. get what you're saying. But if it was prior to, then who's giving them the advice to test in the first place? But these are just – that's – those are scary bad numbers. And he was easily the biggest, the most worrisome combine of anyone in attendance. When you show up 228 pounds and test like a average athlete to below average athlete for the position, that's – like I said, I wonder who – Obviously, we'll be in attendance as pro day here in a few weeks. But I wonder who's given advice to even go out there in the football field had because they had to know these numbers weren't going to be good. Yikes! Yikes! Other loser, Zachary Carter of Florida, who we did I, well, expectations weren't really high for him, but he still did not meet the bill. Yeah. So another guy who is a tweener and comes in with poor athleticism for a tweener. That's just again. So he's two hundred eighty pound edge rusher. What are you going to do with five second forty at that twenty seven half inch vertical? Not even ten foot broad jump. Those are that, that's just 
that is an average base down edge, sadly. So not a good, not a great combine show for him. Amari Barno, is it time to go back to the tape with the Virginia Tech edge? Ran a four three six, an official four three six, and was not nearly as light as MyJ Sanders. One five four ten yard split too, dude. That's faster than a lot of running backs that tested. That's insane. He had a and the jumps match too. These were not fast track numbers in my opinion. The jumps match all that stuff. I want to go back to the tape and be like, what what position can this guy catch a football? Because think about what this guy could do at tight end. Four three six at that size, six five two forty six, like with thirty four inch arms. You, you think about this guy. Can he even track a ball at all? Because on his tape, he, he's not. You go back to last year when he's like Jason Oway. Talk about him a lot. Who put up numbers in a similar vein of just like holy shit, this guy is just testing like an elite wide receiver at two hundred fifty pounds, um, and even Oway was stronger into contact, was more physical, had more pass rushing moves than Barno, who's like, a, I believe, a senior coming out of Virginia Tech, who, man, on tape, there's just no physicality to his game to where I'm taking an athlete like that, though, and thinking, where else can I put? Like, let me find a role for him. I, I'm not sure if rushing the passer is it because of how what that all entails, but at that athleticism, with what he put up, he said four three six at that size, there's got to be somewhere he can make an impact on the football field. And like I said, I would be throwing footballs at this guy, trying to make him catch, because that is that's unprecedented. That's like Vernon Davis type numbers at that size. Which Vernon Davis didn't have the greatest ball skills, but he still made an impact because he was, you know, a freak. The official trade for Russell Wilson to break up the show again. And I apologize, Jake Laser. The trade is for Drew Locke, Shelby Harris a rising offensive star, which could be Judy, Hamler, Fant, or three, Okui, Boonam, I don't know. Two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and a fifth. And then the Seattle Seahawks get Russell Wilson and a fourth back. I don't know why they threw the fourth back, which is just incredible. Um, The rumor that it is Fant. It is Noah Fant. So it's Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant, all three of which uh, aren't great players, but maybe helping, I don't know, I don't know, aren't great players in my opinion. Two first rounders, two second. It's essentially two first rounders and two second rounders. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got some back for the Seahawks, and that's you have to replace for the Broncos. But I, I love keeping that receiving core intact. You know, yeah. where Russell Wilson usually throws the ball, he hasn't used tight ends traditionally over the course of his career. He doesn't really work the middle of the field. So to keep that receiving core with the four wide that they got and can throw out is exactly what you wanted. Shall we pump the brakes on something here for the edge defenders? Yes. I say pump the brakes on actually reshuffling your rankings based off of this combine because, one, everyone tested very well. I don't think there was a single guy who came in. Probably the worst tester of the bunch of the edges was Kingsley and Agbury, and that was only because it's 40. Only because it's 487, 40. He had had 36.5-inch vertical at 258 pounds, which is very good. So even he wasn't like a – bad athlete by any means but i'd say pump the brakes i'm really reshuffling this edge class and your rankings in it until you see some three cones at produce until we see how these guys can change directions because like i said everyone i'll say pump the brakes besides Maje sanders everyone really put up good numbers in this edge class that are translatable to the edge and like he always say 
when you're haggling over elite athletes, splitting hairs between elite athletes, go go trust the tape on those. Like when everyone tests well and you're like, oh no, but Trayvon Walker's a little more elite than this guy's eliteness. So it's like they're all in the range that can yeah. be pro ball, all pro type of athleticism. This entire edge class pretty much. The guys we've talked about at the top here. So pump the brakes on really reshuffling until you really see some of these change of direction drills at pro days to know are they linear dudes or can they actually bend and move off the edge? I did have this tweet. The way you thought they would. I did have this tweet come out. I think all of these guys could go inside the top 40 picks. I think it's eight total edge defenders. Interested in your take. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, George Karloftis, David Ajabo, Jermaine Johnson, Arnold Ebiketti, and Boye Mafe. All, all yeah. eight, I yeah. think, could come off the board in the first eight picks. The one who, first 40 picks. The one who I still want to see, and he didn't run the 40, but... George Karloftis had a 38-inch vertical at 266. Yeah, I saw, and his broad was good, too. That's, I don't understand uh, why he didn't run the 40, though. That's reminiscent of, I'm trying to think, Miles Garrett went like 42 inches at 272, which obviously four-inch difference is still pretty big, but that's an explosive dude. People, if you're talking about Karloftis as a you know high-motor energy guy, no, he, he's got some juice behind him, too. DraftKings has just taken down its odds for the number one overall pick because Daniel Jeremiah has come out and said because the Jags are tagging Cam or Cam Robinson. They're he, tagging him again? They're tagging Robinson. And we've heard a lot of reports that they're going to oh go after a big God. splash in free agency for an offensive tackle. I think the Jags may be moving away from offensive tackle. Now, if you bet Aiden Hutchinson at plus 750 to go number one overall, it was value. Then it went down to plus 700. Then it was plus 500. I bet it at all three spots. I think it's going to be moving up. I think the Evan Neal, Ike Aquanu stuff is going to be coming down with them tagging Cam Robinson and all the stuff we've heard about them also looking at an offensive tackle in Vrancy. Cough, cough, Teron Armstead. Before we continue to move forward and get to linebacker, corner, secondary, you, you hate Cam Robinson. I don't hate Cam Robinson. I hate, from a roster-building perspective, pigeonholing yourself into a below-average tackle on a franchise tag back-to-back years because you're too scared to go make plays. The fact that the, And here's the other piece of that, too. You know? <clears throat> the fact that the Jaguars waited to do it after the combine. I know the deadline's Tuesday, and a lot, not a lot of tag decisions are made the Monday, Tuesday. But you wait till after the combine, and you still come out of the combine, see an Evan Neal's asset. You know, a Svelte 330 and Aki Aquanu do well to combine. You come out of it and you're like, actually, we're still going to tag Cam Robinson. That, in my opinion, is... is oh, if we're talking about number one pick. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. That, that It is indicative of some of the decision-making they're making, some of the decision-making at number one overall for Jacksonville, in my opinion. Western Southern is a proud sponsor of this podcast. <clears throat> While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Linebackers. We did not get the opportunity to see Leo Chanel bench press, and it was a big reason why anyone who bet over 39 and a half bench reps did not win, but he still had a stellar combine outside of that. Yes, man. Four, five, three, forty for a guy, two hundred and fifty pounds, and that's the thing you keep going back to with Chanel. Like other guys, tested out maybe more athletically on the whole, but he's unique. He is a two hundred and fifty pounder. Like even Darian Beaver is one of the guys who we said came in, um, and he's like a traditional Sam, whatever, or a bigger linebacker. Two thirty. He came in two thirty nine. Chanel came in a legit two fifty. Put up four, five, three. Put up a 40.5-inch vertical and put up a 10-8 broad jump. That is an elite explosive dude. 
keep going back to the poor man, Michael Parsons. That's similar range. Other winners <clears throat> at, at the Everyone. Dude, it was okay. Yeah. I, I said this on the pod prior where I'm like, pick a loser from who's going to be the, the who would struggle in this linebacker class. None of them. You watch these guys on tape and it's just like athlete, athlete, athlete. So there are, I don't think the only loser was Kobe Dean because he didn't test. You know, yeah. he let everyone else kind of get that, get those, put those first mover advantage get those numbers out there get the hype train going behind them because all these guys were leading and, and dean came in 511 228 his wingspan still about the same as nick bolton so i'm not worried about it but uh, i think with troy anderson the montana state running back putting up a 442 with uh the the georgia back running the linebackers going 447 for chain tyndall quay walker 452 brandon smith going 452 the penn state linebacker with christian harris the alabama linebacker going 444 like all these guys were just athletes for days chad mooman jumping 40 inches brian asamoah going 456 there was everyone proved to be three down sort of athletes from the drills that they did do that yeah i i my my pumped the brakes here is don't pump the brakes. This linebacker class is sweet. Take one of these guys in the second and third round. I will say, I thought Channing Tindall on tape was wildly explosive. I did not see a 42-inch vertical. I did, dude. He's stupid how That's insane. he gets up 42 inches at that yeah. size? He is... 230. 42-inch oh vertical. Oh, my God. Blitz him. That's all I'll say. Blitz him. Just throw him at the quarterback. Yeah. Throw him at the quarterback. Let him play downhill. Don't ask him to think for a second. <laughs> Just throw him exactly where you need him to go, and he'll get there probably sooner than anybody else. Yeah. Anyone you want to go back to the tape on? I do want to go back to the tape on Troy Anderson, Montana State linebacker, because I, I, was, I thought he was a good athlete, you know, for sure. I, I thought he would be 4'5", 4, 4, low 4'6". But man, four four two at two hundred forty three pounds is that's as fast as Devin White, Devin Bush, and bigger than both of those guys coming out. That's that's something. That, that's an interesting sort of developmental piece, especially when you consider this guy started his career at, I believe, running back, moved to quarterback before going to linebackers, only played linebacker the last couple of seasons. So Troy Anderson, Montana State, I, I am officially going back to the tape and saying he was already high in the pff board he was like 64th but i go back and say what what could this guy end up in time so let's get to cornerbacks <clears throat> winners cornerback position sam houston state kid pump him up so i am a comes in and tests like well like legitimately across the board he's, he's a back to the tape guy for me i have not watched a lot of i am a yeah he's the tape is not that like he, <laughs> he tested out like Darrell Revis. I mean, you go back and look at Darrell Revis's numbers compared to Zion McCollum, and they are step for step, like very similar. Now he ain't Darrell Revis on tape, but he playing Sam Houston State. He's backing out in zone coverage the majority of his reps. You are you're a project. Like, that straight up is a project, but he's one of the traitsiest projects i've seen in recent memory in terms of just all around athletic testing so yeah zion mccollum treek woolen also obviously stole the combine four two six 200 plus pounds six and five 205 six three corner like unique dude and another pure project now i do worry about i, I would rather if you're telling me between mccollum's physical tools and woolen's 
I'll take McCollum's every day. I, I don't think the six foot four with the long arms is doing as much as like six of, is doing you as much good as it can do harm in terms of six four. It's just difficult to flip your hips, difficult to be as smooth, difficult to get out of breaks and stuff as much. But dude, four two six speed's insane. So he he is an explosive, explosive athlete. But I will just I keep going back to it's a red flag that a guy that size with that much speed got moved from wide receiver. Yeah, you know, like at UTSA. You, you would think the ease of which he could make an impact if he had any sort of coordination to him at wide receiver is so much easier than even cornerback. So, and did not great well at cornerback, obviously, but new to the position. So, definitely still a winner, though, because of his athletic testing. And then Kyer Elam and Tariq Castro Fields, two long press corners, both going four threes. Very good numbers. Those are two of my favorite, like, silo corner so like the press cover three stuff guys who just need to work the vertical tree where you're not really mirroring guys but you're really jamming them at the line backing off into your deep third those are two of my favorites in this draft class he only ran the 40 Kyrie Elam, but it was a 439 we'll do the rest of his drills at the pro day six foot 191 pounds Florida corner under nine inch hands and only 31 inch arms but still <clears throat> impressive 40 yard dash for Kyrie Elam where the losers, Jermaine Waller, who is the Virginia Tech cornerback that has created well for us in the past. He had low yards, a lot of coverage snap in some instances. He's had some, I won't call flashes on tape, but there's been reason to you know, kind of perk up a little bit. He was slow. He's great ball skills, but he's 4.68. It's just. You're not, you're not playing corner at 4.68. Especially with the fast track. You know, like everyone cooking numbers and you run that. Now. Hopefully he had an excuse like Maje did. I don't know. I haven't heard one, but that's that's cheeks, man. It ain't, it ain't, and, and as much as you want, as much as like guys have had success into the four sixes, I've never seen a four six eight a corner be that successful. And it's like again, four six eight at one hundred eighty pounds is different than Richard Sherman run, running a four six at two hundred five, two ten. You know, you are skinny and you're slow. That's. Yeah, it's a probably UDFA esque time. Kyler Gordon also expected not maybe not to fall, but it wasn't a great combine for him. Came in at five foot eleven, hundred ninety four with thirty one inch arms, but only ran the forty yard dash. And while everyone's you know calling him this athletic freak at one hundred ninety four pounds, you need to fly at that at that size. Just a four five two for him, and he doesn't do any other drill. That for a guy that's being you know billed as this uber athletic guy potentially more athletic than trent mcduffie runs slower than mcduffie and doesn't test for the rest of the day yeah that's just not a great time it's not a death knell but he's considered you know when you consider the athletic project you better be the athletic project yeah <laughs> so yeah how about someone to pump the brakes on at the cornerback oh pump the brakes actually shit didn't prep pump the brakes but i will say pump the brakes on pure for, the same thing i kind of said for wide receivers pure speed to a degree like going low four twos like Kalen Barnes there's diminishing returns to how much that gets you it's more guys who know how to use their speed and play fast that you want so you want the box ticked but anything four four five and below is like gravy you know there's as long as the guy has that it's, it's definitely not a I think the combine and how it's presented can sometimes make it appear that the faster you go, the better you are. If you go from a four three eight to the four three six, you're going to be so much better in the NFL. Yeah. It's more of fit into this box. Obviously, faster is not like worse, mm-hmm. but fit into this box and have good tape. And that's why, I mean, you look at the like you said last last on the last episode, you look at the receivers who run the fastest forties. Who are they? 
Those are, the faster you go does not make you the better receiver. It's, mm-hmm. it's getting within this threshold and then also putting some good tape together and, and, and being able to play the actual technique of the position. Yep. <clears throat> Safeties. Jim Nagy's rate of alt, Lewis Seen, the Georgia, Georgia safety after a stupid combine, was the first safety off the board. Are you, are you in that boat? I, I'm ready to draft him in the first round after that. I am not ready to draft him over Kyle Hamilton after that. But, dude, it was sick. That, that's, that's a heck of a combine for him. That's a well-deserved riser to it because his tape is awesome. Very physical type of safety. 6'2", 199, like 32 and a quarter-inch arms, ticking every single box you could take about the position. So... I still obviously think Hamilton is unique in what he brings to the table, but this is a starting day one safety that you can rely on and pretty much pretty versatile too. Like I don't think he's going to be scheme specific, and that's why he could go in the first round. It was an athletic safety group too. Daxton Hill, Michigan, and then also um, Nick Cross of Maryland. Nick Cross ran a four three four. Daxton Hill a four three eight. We're expecting to test those guys to test well, but getting under the four four mark for both those guys was good. Yeah, Daxon Hill also went six five seven cone four oh six shuttle. Which My are God, great cone, great six five seven. And, and he's the guy who maybe not as versatile as some of the other guys. One ninety one, not your box player. But the crazy thing about him was his wingspan at six foot was within an inch of Kyle Hamilton's at six four. Long arms, broad shoulders, thirty two and a quarter inch arms. He, he's going to be a playmaker in those. In one of those two high defenses, I would love to see him go to one of those where he gets you know thrown into man coverage a good deal or not man coverage, but like quarters match ends up turning into man coverage and that's where he goes. So we'd love to see him there. The Nick Cross number did not get enough hype. I'll just say this: four three four, two hundred eleven pounds is that's nuts. Cooking. He's also a built two hundred eleven yes. pounds. That guy's shredded. Six or two twelve. I don't even mean to shortchange him. Six foot two twelve going four three four with a. Damn near 11-foot broad jump. That That is a rocked-up safety that I think if you're looking for maybe a single high dude who can play a little enforcer over the middle of the field, this is probably your guy in this class because he can, he can hit and he can fly. You've also highlighted Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety as a loser. A Golden Domer? Fellow Golden Domer? I think he may have lost the most money of anyone here with his performance. Now... I'm not dropping him from the number two spot on the draft board, but say you're a say the Texans, say you're someone they're drafting the top five, and you're looking at this this freak. You want him to be a freak all across the board if you're going to really draft safety that highly. And so for him to go four five nine, which is not that's what I believe that's the neighborhood of where Jesse Bates, Justin Simmons, that's the neighborhood where a lot of the best safeties in the NFL have run. Not a death note whatsoever and especially when you watch his 40s and they were like he was this form was cheek he was all over the place like he'd oh, start dude, on one waiting, hash yeah. and then go the other it, it was not his best for damn sure but again if you're drafting that highly in the draft you want everything and so if you're taking a safety and he goes four or five nine i think you just you might look elsewhere at the very top so he's not gonna fall too far but the numbers are bigger in the fall from three to eight is, a, is like 10 million bucks. So mm-hmm. sadly, that isn't going to do him any favors. But still, he is safety one. Don't worry too much. Time to go back to the tape with Tyson Anderson, Toledo safety, six foot two, 209 with 33 inch arms and over 10 inch hands. Ran a 436, 35 and a half inch broad, 10 3 broad, or no, 35 and a half inch vert. 10-3 broad, 6-6-4-3 cone, which was second behind Daxton Hill in a 4-2-8 short shuttle. Impressive week for Tyson Anderson. Yes. So 
Toledo safety. He last time I hadn't actually even watched him post this year. I'd watched him prior to heading into this year, and was like, even like watching him on tape. Sadly, like didn't see. Like I know he's freakishly athletic, but he's a guy that like takes you a while to see that he's freakishly athletic, which I always. I don't want to say shy away from, but I'm always a little worried about those guys. So excited to go back and actually watch him again and what he did in 2021 because he actually graded out all right this season. That's it for the safeties. Actually, pump the brake. You already said kind of pump the brake, dropping Hamilton too far. Drop I think Hamilton I saw him drop far. in a mock draft at 10. Yeah. That feels probably the floor, right? You can't let Hamilton fall outside the top 10 for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, his where you want a safety to win, he wins still. Sub 7-3 cone ridiculous short area quicks for a guy that size and short air explosiveness with his jump numbers to where that's where you want a safety to win. And it's like his pure range, watch the tape. It's not an issue. So again, four, five, nine to me, I'm not terribly worried. Pump the brakes and dropping them. One more note before we get to the generational prospect bracket. I have an update from All22, a sponsor of this podcast. Our friends at All22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees are playing. All22 uses PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a 53-man roster, offensive line included. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, trading for Russell Wilson maybe, you'll enjoy the scouting process. You'll enjoy All22. Join the waitlist on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. All22, less fantasy, more football. Before this podcast, Mike, Aiden Hutchinson was plus 750 to go number one overall. After tagging Cam Robinson, the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's now minus 175 to go first overall. What, would, what was my rant last week? What did I go on the rant about Hutchinson? What was not just my rant? What was my money? I put a decent amount on Aiden. I'm just, to go saying, I'm overall. just saying, well, I'm saying you were, you were, you were banging some Aquanu. I was banging some Aquanu. Thicky, thicky Aquanu. I was banging some Aquanu. Yeah, you were you were believing the hype. You're like, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing that. Someone's saying Nikki to number one. It's real. And I'm like, objectively look at this. Take a step back and just think. And I now I know the the Jaguars and like objective thinking may may not have gone hand in hand for some time now. But just looking at the class and what they need and what could make an impact and like where how they need to help. Trevor Lawrence, signing a tackle, getting a tackle that can play right now, that you know it can play right now, so much seems like so much better process than drafting one number one overall and praying that a rookie hits the ground running. So, yeah, I, I well done on betting it. Well done. But we shall still see. I, I, I still hope that... Well, if you do think they're going off at the tackle now, Aiden Hutchinson's minus 175 on FanDuel. Evan Neal's plus 480. Ike Aquanu's plus 550. That is massive value change. That is a massive odds change for the number one overall pick in glaring favor of Aiden Hutchinson going number one overall. And the other edge, if, say, they want to go the number two edge on a lot of people's boards, Kayvon Thibodeau, plus 1,900. I, don't think, I think there's value on that. I honestly think there's value on Kayvon Thibodeau going one uh, just since it's so far out. 19-1 yeah. to one odds. It's not, that's not terrible either. Generational prospect bracket. Off with the tackle. I'll read the name. Oh, no. Delete the tweet. Delete the tweet. Passing up. Delete the tweet. Um, the delete the tweet. I have my first one. This one was just, I think, has to be highlighted because I was kind of being a douchebag back in the day. Oh, yeah. So in 2018, Love I won PFF's like MVP award. So like Employee of the Year award. It was called the Hornsby based off the founder. And I 
tweeted this really cringy. Holy tweet shit! I don't after. remember this. This is awful. This is awful. This is before uh, I really like knew you though. Yeah. So this is before I knew myself. I like to think I changed. Yeah. The tweet <laughs> says, proud to announce that I brought home Pro Football Focus's Hornsby Award, PFF's version of the MVP for the 2017 season. Jesus Christ. To earn such praise in my first year with PFF is truly an honor, and I'm not done yet, as I plan to build on this hot star in a route and be even better 2018. Well, look at me now, motherfucker. I will say I did build on that hot star, though I do sound like a douchebag. I sound like an absolute douchebag in that. I, will, I might delete that tweet right now. That's what we might have to start doing. You can't delete it, dude. We might have to start doing that. On the delete the tweet, you just actually have to delete it. You I'm, actually no, have to send I'm it back. I'm screenshotting it. I don't delete my tweets unless that they're and the only tweets I delete are ones that are getting too much engagement, and I'm just like, I don't need these problems. Like, I don't need my mentions like filling up about like mute it. a debate, like oh. shit, and it just fills up my. Just stuff. mute it. You don't have to delete those. And I'm just like, I actually don't need to talk. The next about one this. is a quote from you. Can I wait? Can we stay on this topic for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. About the Hornsby one. This yeah. is like what... The worst tweet I've ever seen? No, this is like an athlete tweet yeah. that the athlete doesn't themselves tweet it. It's like they have a social media manager yeah. that thinks this is how yeah, they best yeah. convey That's actually a great that take. they're driven. But it's it sounds like any sane person reading it's like, ooh, it's a little... Uh, we don't need... No. Don't any need. sane person reading it, including myself now, it's not great. It's not really great. Now it's uh, you, but you made good. Uh, it would have been worse had you said that and then turned out to be a piece of shit. But you fulfilled what you said well, you were going to do. Of shit. So <laughs> you fulfilled what you said you were going to do. So hey, good on you. This one did not ever even come to fruition in mine. So oh, that that's might right. be objectively worse here. Your delete I tweeted, tweet. Well, it was a quote from whatever. I probably tweeted it too because I was loving Elijah Hood back in 2017 NFL draft. North Carolina running back. I loved him ever since high school tape. Thought he was going to commit to Notre Dame. Actually, may have committed to Notre Dame and decommitted. That was back when I did follow that stuff. But I tweeted out, Elijah Hood is this year's Jordan Howard, which, what a take. Jordan Howard is, you know, someone you really want to monitor the game after. That was after Jordan Howard has been back-to-back thousand-yard years, stars career. So I said, he's this year's Jordan Howard. Um, he went undrafted. Uh, I'm not sure he ever had a carry in the NFL. Uh, safe to say. He's been no years. A little bit of a miss. A little bit of a miss there on Elijah Hood. I think he was a Raider for a little bit. He was. That's who signed him. Last one here. This is from Mary Kay. I know he was a seventh rounder. Seventh rounder? Wasn't even even that wrong. This is from a Browns beat writer for Cleveland.com, Mary Kay. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Cabo? Cabot. Cabot? I think it's Cabot. Browns Dorsey cited hand size as a criteria for a quarterback playing in Cleveland. Okay. And so I I threw this one in there because I was looking for delete the tweets and I had quoted this um, about something. But it was just like adding to the what we had talked about last week that like there are people that have said this. This has been said a lot of times. So we talked about it a lot. Don't really want to talk about it again. But I did think it was interesting. I can't remember what I quote tweeted that with. It was something not funny. But, Great. Thanks for including it in the delete to tweet segment. But uh, it, let's just move on. <laughs> Generational prospect bracket. Off at the tackle. 2015 PFF's OT1. Lael Collins goes undrafted in that draft for other reasons. 2016, Larry Tunsil also falls down the board for other reasons. The gas mask will, in my opinion, be, when I die, one of the best day of draft stories. I still made the joke. I literally yesterday, I asked, because Duke Manyweather, the office line trainer, is tweeting out that, you know, 
that Trevor Penning won't make it to the Packers. And I was like, well, is he on a gas mask bar? That's good. It well, still, still hits. It still hits. Still still every hits. Time. He still hits out of it. For 2017, Ryan Ramchick. That was your OT1. What a call there. I like Ryan Ramchick in 2017, too. He has been great for the New Orleans Saints. Mike McGlinchey was OT1 over Colton Miller. I think you'd come back and say Colton Miller's outperformed what Mike McGlinchey has done in San Francisco. Jonah over Williams. Isaiah Wynn, too. That yeah. was, Isaiah Wynn's probably been the best. 2019 was my guy, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. I can't believe that was 2019. That's four years ago. Jesus. Tw- Jonah Williams, the Alabama offensive tackle. I think he was the 11th ranked player on PFF's draft board that year. 2020, Andrew Thomas over Tristan Wirfs, over Jedrick Wills, over Mackay Becton. 2021, Panay Sewell. Uh, obvious there. That was a the consensus. And then 2022, right now, is it changing, though? Charles Cross. No. Okay. I had the one that kills me still. I had Tristan Wirfs ahead of Andrew Thomas going into their junior years. They both graded out really well. And I don't know, for some reason I had Thomas, I flipped them. But they were like, before the season, they were next to each other, just Wirfs ahead. After the season, they were next to each other, but just Thomas ahead. So neither of them are going to be the generational prospect. But let's get into the debates. Lyle versus Charles Cross is an interesting one. Really like Lyle Collins. Was not prototypical, and I think I lean Cross in this debate because of the pass protection stuff, like you go back and watch LSU and obviously played in the SEC, faced top-tier edge rushers. But that LSU offense was, I can't remember who, who the OC was back in 2014, but they did not pass. They were, that was back in the, you know, six to three days of LSU when it was defense and run game. So I do think you have to factor it all in though, right? You have to factor in the off-field stuff too. Like at the time, Leo Collins was falling for that perspective, right? Or are you going to like rule that out? I guess that's, you're not going to factor the bong rip into... And it wasn't even that was just like a report of his. So his ex-girlfriend had been murdered, I believe, at the time. And he was like wanted for questioning because obviously like you're going to question someone who got murdered, ex, ex, whatever, ex uh, boyfriend. But it literally was like, no, there was not actually off field issues. Law of comments. There was no like you said, like you worry about. I don't know. There's remember Dalvin Cook had to take a team picture. Uh with and without him because of, you know, quote-unquote off-field issues that just weren't disclosed. There was none of that with Lyle Collins. Like he was a clean prospect and just no one wanted to draft the guy who had just maybe been implicated in a murder. So that was – and it was the timing of it that made it such a, an issue for him and why after I believe he ended up saying after he, like, dropped out of, like, first or second round, he's like, don't draft me. I don't want to go to wherever you're going to draft me because you'd rather be a UDFA – and pick where you can go and then closer to your second contract once you are. So I lean cross though. That's okay. a, it's a long way of saying I still lean Charles Cross. <laughs> I'll, I'll ride with you on cross. I don't know if I, I, I remember scouting Lael Collins a ton. I remember after some of that stuff, I don't know. I, I, I know more about cross than I do about Collins. Yeah. This one's tough though. Now we get to Laramie Tunsil versus Penny school. Cause I love Tunsil. He had great tape at Ole Miss. Obviously a lot of projectable tools. But I love Penny Sewell. I think Penny Sewell has to be the winner here. Yes. This is probably the biggest heavyweight matchup of the first round. Yeah. For sure. It's a tough break for Tunsil because Tunsil probably does Very a handful of these other guys. Very tough break for Tunsil. You hate to see him. You hate to see him go down like that. I know. It's an 8 9. All right. Ryan Ramchick against Andrew Thomas. I might lean Thomas. Ramchek was awesome. A lot of people build him as a right tackle only, and he's only played right tackle in the NFL, essentially. Andrew Thomas. Though he wasn't the consensus OT1, I think a lot of people felt that he was an obvious, obvious top 10 type of player. Um, I, I think I might lean Andrew Thomas over Ramchick, and I love Ramchick coming out. Ramchick had a sick ascension. I, I compare it. 
I feel like he's another one of those guys, and why I'm so high on like Ryman this year, that I love those guys who don't play a ton of football and then are good at tackle. Or like don't play doesn't take him a long time to then be very good at tackle. Because he was he was a top recruit, quit football, went to a D three school in Wisconsin, ends up getting talked back into playing football, plays football there, transfers to Wisconsin in his transfer year, everyone's raving about holy shit, like the guy who's sitting out for us on the scout team is the best offensive lineman we have starts one year at left tackle gets drafted last pick of the first round and all of a sudden it's like one of the best tackles in the nfl so i loved him as prospect because of that sort of kind of like ascension that he made but like i said andrew thomas was he ticked a lot of boxes he did in the sec he's very powerful dude and he's been very good as himself this past year when he was healthy so i lean andrew thomas in that matchup next matchup we have Mike McGlinchey versus Jonah Williams. I think we're going to lean Williams here. You were super high on Williams coming love out. Williams. Uh, I love, love Williams. The even with the arm like stuff. Arm you love Williams. Concern, sure. Just thought he was very steady. I thought high floor is how I would describe Jonah Williams. McGlinchey, not as much. Jonah Williams is just like, you know, he's going to be good. And at the tackle position, that's incredibly valuable. Just knowing a guy will be a solid pass project to the next level. And that's, I think, what he's been. He's not been super high-end. Like, you never were going to get a guy that looked like Laramie Tunsil or Penny Sewell or whatever. You weren't mm-hmm. going to get highlights. But we're going to get a lot of lowlights either. So, yeah, I, I like Jonah Williams in that one. Next round? Next round. It's going to go Cross versus... Jonah. I think we're going to have to go Cross here, right? Yeah. You like Cross a lot. I do like Cross a lot. This one's tough, though. I think... Williams also had that, in my opinion, a lot of people talked about his like inside-out versatility. He played with guard. He played with center. He could do whatever we want with him. He's this like, guy who played up and down the line of scrimmage at Alabama. He started as a true freshman. I think that has value compared to Cross, though. With Cross, the concerns more are he's not this top-tier athlete, but he tested really well in Indianapolis. I thought he was no, a winner. It's, it's not a, no one's concerned about Cross. He's not a top-tier athlete. I don't think. I mean, he's a much better athlete than even Jonah is. Yeah. So... Well, my, my, not, not so much that he's not a top-tier athlete, but people were like, he does, he's not Ike Aquano, he's not Evan Neal as yeah. an athlete, and that's why people were considering him. I mean, Dan Jeremiah had him falling all the way to 22 in his latest mock draft for that reason, for the reason that he's not going to be the tester these other guys are. Well, I think I th- did he, he never gave a reason why he had him at 22, I thought. But he's, he's not the NFL-ready prospect that Jonah probably was, really, like in terms of just seeing and doing NFL concepts, obviously, in Mike Leach's offense. So I do think that that's a little worrisome, but I, I will lean cross in this matchup, honestly. Let's lean cross. I'm going to go cross. Cross it is. And then Penny Sewell against Andrew Thomas. Sewell. No say shade to Andrew Thomas, but we know who's winning this one already. It's going to be Penny Sewell because Penny Sewell versus Charles Cross. I'm still leaning Penny Sewell. Like he was freakishly good as a true sophomore. Yeah, in the Pac-12. Not quite the same, but 19 years old, moving 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds with ease. I still am excited to see where he ends up physically because he's not there. Yet. Like he's not This guy ain't a finished product by any means in what he can be. I believe he's younger than Nifi Sewell, the linebacker, in U- the Utah linebacker who's coming out this year. He's still younger than him. Um, like I said, I, I, Petty Sewell was – the best tackle prospect we've seen. I've seen. 
Closing thoughts here. Let's finish with the Russell Wilson trade. Call out an official winner-loser to this one. It was Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick. That's what the Broncos are receiving. Trading for Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick. Seattle gets Drew Locke, the quarterback from Denver. Shelby Harris, defensive lineman from Denver. Noah Fant, the offensive rising star, the tight end out of Iowa, former first-round pick. Then they also get two first-round picks, one of which will be this year, the ninth overall pick, two second-round picks, and a fifth-round pick. In my opinion... Unless Russell Wilson is, and they know, is horrendous in Denver, this feels like an L for Seattle. This isn't, getting Locke, Harrison, Fant is not the rebuild players you want. Harris is old. I, I don't understand why you're, why you're prioritizing those players at all. I think Harris is a good player, but he's not going to be a part of this rebuild. He's not going to be on this team when you're eventually Super Bowl competitive. I don't understand picking up Drew Locke. I'd rather see Geno Smith start the 17 games. Some people are saying, well, he'll, camp, he'll captain the tank. Why not let Geno Smith captain this tank or anyone off the street? Why involve him in this package, in my opinion? No fan, like maybe you like him and thinks he's going to break out as the guy that people build him as coming out of Iowa. This looks like an L for, for Seattle. I, I don't see this being the package probably they want. And I remember when I did my mock draft trading Russell Wilson to Washington, they got more in return. They got two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and I believe like two third-round picks. I think I'd rather have those than some of the players I got in. I, I don't see this as a win for Seattle. And yeah, you, know, you give up two firsts and two seconds to go get Russell Wilson. I still think this is a, is a win for Denver, who is now like objectively Super Bowl competitive, at least more so than they were before. I, I do think it is a win for Denver. I, I do also think, though, Russell Wilson's end of the year did not help their trade but did not help his trade value. Like I, I don't I think teams are still a little worried. It's like, is that a sign of things to come or was that just an aberration with the finger? So I, I don't think that helped. But like I said, I do think it's a win for the Broncos. I think it's kind of just par for the course for the Seahawks. Like you said, the players included. Locke, quite obviously, is whatever, you know, but Fant is going into year four of his rookie contract. You would have the fifth-year option with him should you want to exercise it. Shelby Harris is costing kind of a lot the next couple of years for a defensive tackle. Cap hits for the Seahawks of like in the $8 million range, but he's, he's a solid player, depth player. But like, you're the Seahawks now. You are not two years away. These guys, you're going to have them for two years. You're not two years away. Just, sorry, you're not. You are three. You've set the timeline to about three years away from actually getting back there. And now you got yourself draft capital to do so, but like I said, throwing in these players, I'm not. I wouldn't have said just keep them, but I would have been like, let me get some more draft capital out of you. Like, let me get another second round and third round out of you instead of throwing in these players, which I think the Broncos may have done for cap purposes, honestly. Last piece of this, and I know we've talked about it a ton on the show, but some are saying, is this not just enough to grab Russell or Deshaun Watson if the legal stuff clears? Are they making a second swing of the bat for a quarterback, or do you think this is a complete rebuild? Seahawks? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Dude, you imagine going from Russell Wilson to Deshaun Watson. Just like... Change of pace in the locker room for sure. A little bit. A little bit. Um, I, I doubt there. Yeah, I don't see that either. I don't see that either. Some people are saying that. I don't see that either. I think this is, this, is a, this is a white flag if you're Seattle. Like, you can't come out of this as a Seattle Seahawks fan hoping for you know, a playoff competitive team next year and feel good. This is a white flag. This is like, hey, the, the, the Russell Wilson era is over. We're going to reset. Yeah. We're going to recommit to a new young quarterback. Not Drew Locke, ideally, but a, a new young quarterback and, and, and start to make some decisions. Then. Man, how do you feel if you're DK Metcalf? Oh, or Tyler two years, Lockett. Two, a year away probably from like negotiating an extension, and you're probably going to put up 
I mean, if Geno Smith's your starter, Drew Locke's your starter, you ain't getting a thousand yards this year. I mean, maybe, but like, you'd have felt much better about that if Russ's your starter. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. What a fantastic episode. Got hit with some handful of news. I'm sure more is coming as the trade deadline or the franchise tag deadline comes near. Like I said, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.